We read together in the scriptures of the Old Testament, uh, reading from 2 Kings chapter 5. Second Kings uh, chapter 5, uh, page 373 in the Bible that's available for use in church. So Second Kings chapter 5, and um, we read from verse 1 uh, through to verse 14. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, or Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, Six thousand shekels of gold and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Then Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes. He sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me, and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean 
like that of a young boy. Amen. We unite together in prayer. And we were thinking together this morning about how it is the task of the church uh, in relation uh, to human beings to make disciples uh, and to strengthen disciples. And of course, in saying that, we are recognizing uh, that uh, that is not a work that man can accomplish of himself, but it is a work wrought by God the Holy Spirit in and through the Word of God. And so now this evening, uh, having thought about the church's double task, we want to think this evening in particular about the church's neglected task. Because as I was um, saying this morning at the end uh, of uh, our sermon, uh, that whilst we have these twin responsibilities, making disciples for Christ, strengthening disciples in Christ, often the reality is that in church life, we don't hold the two in tension. We don't hold the two together in the way in which Paul did and in the way in which Christ, our Savior, uh, did. And so um, we want then to think this evening uh, about the neglected aspect, which is that of making disciples. Making disciples. And the reality is uh, that for many of our churches and for many of us within uh, our churches, uh, we can find time, we can create time uh, for another meeting for ourselves uh, or for gathering with other Christians. But do we have the same um, uh, commitment when it comes and the same discipline and diligence when it comes to the task uh, of reaching uh, those who are not Christians? Uh, and it is my own personal conviction uh, that often we neglect this task. Uh, and uh, for, no doubt, a variety of reasons, um, it's not an easy task. Um, it's a task um, which um, we can feel in ourselves inadequate for, and it's right that we should feel inadequate for it. But our strength to do it uh, is not to be derived from ourselves. It is rather to be derived from Christ, our Savior, as we abide in him. Uh, and then, uh, in terms of uh, being busy, and we are uh, uh, all busy in a variety of ways, and often that keeps us uh, from um, allocating the time that we should to this important yet neglected Task. And the reality is, however, that on the day of judgment, no other activity uh, that we have pursued among men or within the world will be more important. Not our work, not our recreation, not our hobbies, not anything else will be more important than this uh, of uh, having been witnesses uh, to uh, Christ and so I want us this evening then to think about making uh, disciples and how we are to do that 
Uh, and again, I'm not saying anything new that I haven't uh, taught before, but um, as Paul says to the churches in the New Testament, I put you in remembrance of these things. Uh, we need to be reminded of these things. So, how are we then to make disciples? Well, it seems to me there are four major ways in which we see this happening in the New Testament. First of all, making disciples through personal witness. Through personal witness. Every individual Christian uh, has a testimony to bear. And your testimony, in other words, how God has dealt with you in Christ. Uh, and that experience and understanding of salvation uh, is no less important than that of anyone else. And so uh, we uh, ought to be able to speak of belonging to the family of God. Just as um, we usually do not have any um, hesitation, I hope, about speaking about belonging to our earthly families. We meet someone, we get into conversation, and they ask us, who are you? Where did you come from? And we tell them um, um, about our family. Uh, and as Christians, we belong to another family, an everlasting family, the family of God. And so we should, in the same way, speak of Christ. First Peter chapter 3, um, we, uh, Peter writes there to believers, and this is our key text for this point. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an, a defense or an, a, an apology, uh, and that doesn't mean uh, an apology for having done something wrong, but um, to uh, express your faith to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. And Peter is not even talking here about us going and taking the initiative. Where with someone in a relationship or a friendship or a contact, you have got to turn the conversation or you seek to turn the conversation to the gospel. No, rather, he says here, as you live out your faith, there will be opportunities and occasions for you to give witness to your Savior because that non-Christian that you work with or that you live next to or that observes your life in one way or another will ask you, what is it that makes you different? Why is it you can endure hardship and suffering why is it that you are always joyful? Why is it that you're someone who is so ready to forgive others? Um, why is it that you are a man of peace or a woman of peace? And it's because they see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And that prompts 
a question from them. And so um, Peter talks, of, uh, writes about this, and that's an opportunity for personal witness. And of course, then alongside that, there are times we should be seeking to turn the conversation to the gospel. We should be taking opportunity when it arises in the midst of conversation uh, to introduce our faith. And we see people doing this in the New Testament in a whole range of ways. For example, or sorry, in the scriptures in a whole range of ways. Go back into the Old Testament. And Ruth, how did Ruth become a believer? She became a believer largely through the witness of Naomi. Observing her, uh, yes, going through the hard times, but then seeing that there was something about Naomi that caused her to say, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. And so there's someone, um, Naomi, having a personal witness within her family because Ruth was a daughter-in-law. And then we see that extending again in personal witness out to friends uh, and neighbors. We can think of examples in the Gospels where Christ um, changed the life of someone. For example, Luke chapter 8, the demon-possessed man. Uh, And what did he do? This demon-possessed man went back into his community and he proclaimed to his friends and his neighbors the change that had taken place. Uh, And we can do that as well. Um, Why is it that you don't work on the Lord's day? Uh, Why is it that you will not play sport as a young person on the Lord's day? It is because the Lord and his day is more important to me than work. More important to me than sport. More important to me than anyone or anything else. And so I seek to honour him. Not only is this personal witness carried out in family circles and among friends and neighbours, we see it also carried out among strangers. We read there of um, the young girl and how... And she was a captive, taken captive, ripped away from her family in Israel, taken into Syria, a strange land, strange home, strange place, strange customs. And there she spoke to her master and mistress uh, about the God of Israel and the prophet in Israel who could bring help to Naaman with his leprosy. And uh, are we as active in doing that as we should when we come across people in need? Perhaps we can't help them themselves, but we can say, I know someone, and I think if you met them and if you talked to them, um, they would be able to help you. They're a man of God. They're a woman of God. Uh, And so uh, we see this girl uh, doing this. Uh, in um, to a stranger and there's another aspect to it as well that she was doing it in the place of her work she was a maid uh, to this household uh, and um, 
We have other examples of people doing it in the workplace. Think of Joseph. Think of Nehemiah. Think of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Think of Esther. Those servants of God in the Old Testament that we admire. And we admire their faith. But where did their faith display itself? It was in their workplace. As they came up against issues. Joseph, as he came up against a woman who wanted to draw him into immorality. Daniel, as he came up against people who were envious of him in his position and tried to to trap him. And he could have easily said, well, I'll just pray silently to God for a month. But no, he would not break his practice. Uh, He would continue steadfast in it. Uh, And and we could think of the same in terms of, of Nehemiah being sad in the king's presence. And all the risk that that had with it. Where you could have lost your, not just your job, but your head. In those situations. Because no one was allowed to be sad in the king's presence. But he was that for the purpose. And for the goodness and the well-being of God's people. And so uh, making disciples through personal witness. In our families, among our friends and neighbours. To the stranger that we've never met before. And in the workplace. And we shouldn't underestimate the significance and importance of this. If we are in work, we are there at least, if we're in full-time work, 36, 40 hours in the week. People see us under all kinds of pressures and in all kinds of circumstances. They see us when somebody um, speaks wrongly about us behind our backs. They see us when the work is and the pressure is heaping up upon us and um, the, the stress is rising and how we respond to people. Do we cut people off who come into our presence or are they made to feel as if we hadn't a thing to do And we hadn't a burden in the world. And you see, as we do, as we live like that, and as we draw upon the strength of Christ for uh, and in our workplace, uh, we are uh, being witnesses. We are um, leaving a testimony uh, to Christ. Uh, And um, we're not in the workplace to be evangelists. But we are in the workplace to serve Christ and to honor Christ as we are employed by an earthly master. And when that gives us opportunity to speak for Christ, we should do so without fear and without shame. Knowing And believing and trusting that he will honor and bless that. So it's a vital, vital way. And then if we're outside of work, the community in which we live, 
seeking to be involved in that community, again, seeking opportunity through it for personal witness. In school, young people, being different with your teachers, being different with the other pupils, being distinctive in terms of your speech and your attitude uh, to uh, others uh, and to your teachers. That is a witness. Uh, And that will give and create opportunity for personal witness sooner or later. But then secondly, we want to think this evening about making disciples through benevolent witness. Through benevolent witness. And by benevolent, I mean through doing, sorry, through doing good. And the text that... um, I have in mind here is Acts chapter 4 and verse 9. From the beginning of chapter 3, we uh, we are reading of this man who was lame, who was at the temple gate and wanted money from Peter and John. They didn't have money, but Peter, in the name of Christ, healed the man. And then that opened up into an opportunity for the gospel Uh, Chapter 3, verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Uh, He was speaking that to the whole crowd that had come together as a result of this good deed done. And then Peter and John end up arrested because the religious leaders take umbrage at their ongoing witness to Christ in their place, the temple. Uh, And so we read then in um, Acts chapter 4, verse 9, when they're called to give account, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all that by the name of Jesus Christ, judged for a good deed done and the good deed done by Peter healing this man opened up an opportunity for the gospel now you don't have the power of healing today nor do I nor does any other Christian Christ alone can heal directly from heaven or indirectly through Uh, medical um, intervention but he doesn't he hasn't given gifts of healing any longer to his church but you and I do have the ability to do good to that older person who lives on their own who is lonely we have the ability to do good to that person whose life is a mess Uh, and who struggles to hold life together. We do have the opportunity to do good to that mother who is struggling with how to to care for her newborn baby because she's a young, inexperienced mother. We do have the ability to do good to the person who needs transport somewhere, And they don't have a car of their own or they don't have family to take them. And that's 
doing good. Uh, And uh, Paul, writing uh, to the church in Galatia, urged them to do good to all men, but then in particular to the household of faith. But notice that in doing good to the household of faith, they were not to neglect those outside of the faith. Now we see this benevolent witness very um, fully illustrated in Scripture. Think of the example of Christ. And of course he was unique, being the Son of God. But we see him using the gifts that God had given him. Yes, extraordinary gifts to meet extraordinary need in the ordinary lives of men and women. But in the same way, he's given us ordinary gifts to meet the ordinary need in the ordinary lives of men and women. Christ, it was part of his teaching as well. When he sent out uh, the twelve, he gave them power to exercise extraordinary gift and ministry. And that was to be part of their testimony to the kingdom of God. It was part of what would authenticate the kingdom of God. And in a very real sense today, the the good that we do, that is the authentication before men and women of the kingdom of God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see their your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. By their works, they you shall know them. And that's true of the apostles in their extraordinary gifts. But it's true of Christians in every generation with their ordinary gifts. So Christ engaged in benevolent witness. He taught the importance of benevolent ministry. The apostles themselves discharged it. We've seen an example here in Acts uh, chapter uh, 3. And so likewise, we are to have eyes open to see need. And we are to have hearts that are open to respond to that need. Uh, And uh, hands that are ready to meet that need. Uh, Feet that are willing to go out of our way. Uh, As, for example, the Samaritan did with the man that he found, the Jew that he found by the roadside. He went out of his way. And Christ said, there's love for your neighbor. And benevolent witness, what is it? It's showing our love for God in the practical tasks of caring and loving for our neighbor in a broken world, in a sinful world. And we should be doing that not um, um, because we think that the gospel is a social gospel, but rather we should be doing that because God is good. He sends the rain and the sun on the just and the unjust. And we should be like our Father in heaven. But then we should also be praying that out of the good deed done 
Acts chapter 4 verse 9, that an opportunity will open up for the gospel, for us to share the gospel with that neighbor, with that elderly person, with that single person, with that mother that is burdened, with that widow, with that um, a single parent, uh, with that hospitalized person, whoever it is, that God in his grace will uh, open up a door of opportunity. That's the second thing. And then the third thing this evening to notice is making disciples through house-to-house witness. It's interesting that there is um, um, a a reference in Scripture to going from house-to-house, not just by Saul in his persecution uh, of the church, but if we turn to Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, we read of the believers and we read... um, Uh, Of Peter and John, again, they'd been before the council. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, and daily in the temple, and it literally is, and from house to house, they did not cease from teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. From house to house, they did not cease from teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ as the Christ. Now, can we do that exactly the same way as they did it? No, we can't. Not in our day and generation. But there is a truth here that we cannot avoid. And we should be thinking and we should be concerned about how we have a witness from house to house uh, in our town uh, and in our community. We see it Again, illustrated uh, in the uh, 72 when Jesus sent them out, uh, Luke chapter 10. We find it in Acts, uh, sorry, in the example of Paul. Paul, when he was talking to the elders of Ephesus in Exodus 20, verse 20, was able to say to them that he was going now bound to Jerusalem and um, But he said, I have not held back, uh, sorry, Acts 20, verse 20, and how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So there was in the New Testament church a consciousness, not just in Jerusalem, but also in Ephesus, of what it meant to make the gospel known publicly, but also from house to house. And we need to think carefully about how we do that uh, in our day and generation uh, of having a witness uh, and uh, seeking opportunity to make disciples uh, from house to house. We can't go knocking on people's doors and badgering them and buttonholing them but we need to think about how and if there is a way of doing that that is sensitive that awakens an interest as opposed to closing doors so 
to Christine that Richard Baxter was the 17th century Puritan pastor in Kidderminster. And um, it was a very, very uh, impoverished community, not just materially, but also spiritually. And one of the things that he did was, in this large Anglican parish, he made it his business to catechize from house to house. Uh, and that was a huge part of the success of his ministry. It wasn't the public preaching of the word. It was his ministry from house to house. Let's notice then finally this evening as we come to a close. Uh, and these are not in any order. They're not in ascending order of uh, priority. I believe they all are like segments of the circle. And we're thinking about public witness. Public witness. Uh, Acts chapter 17 uh, and verse uh, 17. Uh, we have uh, Paul. And here he is now in Athens. And we find Paul uh, preaching. Uh, where? Well, we find him preaching in public places. And we find him preaching also uh, in uh, the synagogue. Uh, Acts 17, verse 17. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. I believe one of the weaknesses of um, church witness in the 21st century and indeed in uh, the century before is that we see witness and uh, our work as the church is largely confined to one day. Paul was in the synagogue on the Jewish Sabbath and he was in the marketplace daily. Our Savior was in the synagogue on the Jewish Sabbath. He was in the public place the other days of the week. And yes, we should have a vision for this building. Yet, yes, it's the place we come together on the Lord's Day for the public proclamation of the word. But then it's also a place where daily there is an engagement with people who are not believers seeking to bring them to faith in Christ. And part of our vision of el as elders is that this will be a place of witness six days of the week, as well as a place of worship and witness on the first day of the week, uh, the Lord's Day. So we, we see public witness in church buildings, the synagogue, uh, uh, public witness in public places, the open air, Paul by the river, Paul in the marketplace, Paul before the Areopagus, Paul in the lecture hall. And then we see Paul also, like our Savior, in private houses and taking the opportunity for public witness. Uh, and in each of those situations, the, the, the mood of the witness will not necessarily be the same. And it's striking, and this is another study for another night, but in the book of Acts, there's a range of words that are used of Paul in terms of his preaching or his reaching, his taking the good news 
to unbelievers. There is the word caruso, the heralding forth, which is what I'm doing now. But there's also another word which means, which we have in our English as dialogue, where Paul engaged in dialogue and debate. And so whether we are preaching the word or whether we're dialoguing around the word, the word is still central. And God can and God does and God will bless that to the salvation of men and women. And so we see that in all of these situations, and here's the common thread through all of these places uh, of our aspects of witness and of making disciples, the personal, the benevolent, the house-to-house, and the public witness. What are the common threads that hold them together? It's prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer and the word. And so... As we set about making disciples, we've always got to think about um, that this activity needs to have the word in it somewhere. And this activity needs to be surrounded with prayer because they are the means by which grace comes from God through Christ and the witness of his people into the lives of others. And so um, let's go away then and let's think about our witness. And I want us again to think in terms, and we're going to come back to this on Wednesday night, I want us to think in terms of the people, the people who are not Christians in your life. Sit down before Wednesday night and write down the names of every the name of every non-Christian that you are in contact with regularly. Okay? And then I want you to begin to pray for them. And I know I've thrown out the challenge in the past of having seven people, because there are seven days in the week. And I've sometimes had a sense of, oh, I don't have seven people. Well, I think if we were to think about it carefully, all of us have contact potentially with more than seven non-Christians on a regular basis. And that's our mission field. We're to pray for them. We're to want them to ask the question of us as they see our lives, what is it that makes you different? We should be wanting to do good to them and show kindness to them. Spend time with them. Bring them along to church events, to outreach events, so that they're coming under the influence of the word and the fellowship and the witness of God's people corporately. Making disciples. It begins with this recognizing the people that God has put in our path. And it goes on with us praying for them. And then taking the opportunities to reach out to them and to speak into their lives the gospel of his grace. And if we do that, then we are in the business of making disciples. And we're in the place where God will bless that.
and add to that. Amen.